Father, we bow before you in our hearts, recognizing you as the God, the creator of the universe. And it is sustained by your power, by your word. Although it might confound scientists and they make up things to explain the universe, you know its workings. You know the depths of the oceans and the depths of our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would help those as well to be transformed, that our hearts would not remain in the setting of the flesh, but be transformed by the renewing of your spirit and the renewing and the washing of your word. Please accomplish this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. With America being what it is today, we don't like to hear about anything that will be offensive to us. If we are taken aback, if we hear offensive language, there's a whole movement to sequester, to destroy language that might offend somebody who is out there. And on the other hand, others want us to be offended by what they do so that it might motivate us to do what they want. Now, this happens on both sides of the political and moral aisle. You can have the groups like Antifa, and they want to bring fear to people so that they will comply and not complain and not be harassed. Then on the other side, there are those who are Christian workers. They take out pictures of abortion and they want to shock people so that they understand what is going on. And, and so we do things in order to be offensive as well, in order to get a desired result. Jesus did not avoid difficult subjects. He dealt with them in a truthful manner. But when truth is spoken, most of the time... It's offensive. We don't like it because it usually goes to the core of our being. For instance, Jesus talked about sex, theft, greed, idolatry, misogyny, hypocrisy. All of these things were dealt with by Jesus. Who wants to be called a hypocrite? No one. But in the case of the Pharisees, if the shoe fits, if God says it, we need to be submissive to that. And so he dealt with that, and at times he did it so forcefully, it actually brought the offense because he did it so forcefully. And if he did it in a mild fashion, it would still bring an offense. So being truthful brings an offense because we often choose to believe lies or we don't want to listen to what the truth is because it makes us feel more comfortable. That's who we are as a people. Now, I don't know if you know what today is. I heard it in the bulletin announcement. It is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Since 1980, do you guys know how many abortions have been carried out? I will tell you. I will show you. This is a website. This website has all kinds of statistics on it. It's called numberofabortions.com. Worldwide since 1980, and it's still clicking off, it says 1,562,019,231,456,89. It's just counting is what it's doing. In the United States today, 
this day, when I checked it at 6.55 this morning, there were 680 abortions that had already been performed in the United States. Right now, it's 1,006. And so it just keeps a a running tally of how many have been um, taken care of today in their eyes taken care of. Abortion is a scourge on our society. And before I get too far into this, I do need to let everyone know. Chances are, by statistics, there are women in here. 35% of the women could have had an abortion in any church. If that woman has had an abortion, I'm sure she understands. And if she doesn't understand, there is forgiveness available for that. God's grace is immense. And we all make mistakes, and that just happens to be one, a lie that we believe that it will protect you in the rest of your life. And it's it's a lie that has been perpetrated out there. And so for us, in the next hour and a half, there are going to be about 150 abortions performed before we leave this place throughout the United States. Now, I started to look up this information, and I went to Google And on Google, I could not find what it had to say concerning uh, life, concerning uh, abortion. It it would not give the statistics. It was very nebulous. It would break it down by country. It wouldn't give you the total worldwide. And, And trying to find just the exact numbers, you couldn't find the exact numbers. Now, in the United States, since 1980, there's been about... 47 to 50 million abortions take place in this country. When I looked it up on Google and I wanted to find worldwide, they said worldwide abortions are between 40 million and 50 million, which didn't make sense. I'm saying, well, how is that so? Well, it's Google. And Google has an agenda. And guess who provided the numbers? The Guttmucker Institute. Who is the Guttmucker Institute? They're the wing of Planned Parenthood. They want you to think that abortions are at an all-time low. They are not at an all-time low. We have the numbers clicking off. It is just continuing. It is not dropping. But they would have you believe that because it is so offensive to hear that abortions are taking place at the rate that they are. And many of those are black children. But that will never come out either. Margaret Sanger, she was a racist, and she wanted to get rid of most of the black race, and that is their matriarch of the abortion movement. And in God, in Jesus Christ, there is no difference between male and female, slave or free, black or white. We are all equal in the eyes of God. But that is kept down. Now, do you know why it's kept down? Scripture tells us. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Not money that is the root of all evil. The love of money. And millions and billions of dollars have been spent on this abortion issue. This effort to make abortions free or legal and, quote, rare. They are not. None of those things are true. We are paying for abortions through our tax dollars. It has been slid in there, even though it was not supposed to be the case. According to the Congress of the United States, it is still taking place. And in this next election, I think $47 million are going to be spent by Planned Parenthood to target any politician who is pro-life. 
And so they are targeting everyone. And by the way, Christians are anathema when it comes to being pro-life. They will stand against us. And there is a civil war between those who are for abortions and those who are against it. Now, if you are still for abortion, you have to remember that not even God will destroy the image he has created even after death. He's going to place that individual who does not follow him in hell. He will not touch that image because that image is in the image of God. And yet we take no bones, we we take no reservations about it. We will just destroy in this country what is the most precious thing. I have a brand new baby grandson. And to watch him and just to play and, and, you know, he's starting to peep a little bit, you know, and trying to laugh. His mouth opens, his eyes squint, and he's trying to laugh. He's just coming along. I think it's eight weeks or something or nine weeks that he is at. Just a tiny little baby, the most innocent. And we are destroying the most innocent for the sake of comfort and pleasure just like I was talking about with worship. We don't like our lives to be inconvenienced. I even read a little blurb about a woman who had a tubal ligation, who was sterilized, she became pregnant, and she has already scheduled her abortion. And it's, you know, I'm thinking to myself, wow, God really wanted that baby to be born. You know, if, if that's what happened. Well, 45% of pregnancies in America are unintended. Now, that is given to us, again, by the Guttmucker Institute. 40% of unintended pregnancies in an abortion, again, to the Guttmucker Institute. 78% of abortion-minded women choose life after seeing their baby via ultrasound. 78%. And so if you can get a woman who's considering abortion into a pregnancy care center to where she can actually see the baby, over three-quarters of the women choose to have the baby. 35% of women who have had an abortion indicate they currently attend church once or more a week, one time or more a week. And 36% were attending church once a month or more at the time of their abortion. So over 30% of women in any church have had or are going to have an abortion. 70% of women who have had an abortion indicate their religious, religious preference is Christian. That's in the U.S. And as followers of Christ, we need to have life set apart as sanctified. Even our Constitution, it's, it's right inside. We have the right to life. But if we say that too loudly, we get persecuted. And so for us, what do we need to do with this? As a people, we need to ask God for forgiveness for our nation. This was common in Israel. Ezra led prayers like that as for our nation. Nehemiah did that, praying for our nation, that our nation would do what is right. And if we have contrary views to God's word, that our views would go by the wayside because our opinions mean nothing. But God means everything. And also forgiveness for the women who have had them. They, they need the forgiveness. They need to be held and, and they need to be let known that God still loves them that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anyone who is outside of Christ Jesus is already self-condemned. But those in Christ, there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. And also, 
forgiveness for the men who encouraged it. And it, there's a lot of those out there. Just get an abortion. Why mess up our lives? Why not just take care of this problem right now? And there are so many who are willing just to have this happen. I want to pray right now for all of this. Let's pray. Father, first I want to lift up the women who feel they need to have an abortion in this day and age. I I pray that you would reach in to their very souls, that you would bring conviction by your spirit, a conviction that leads to righteousness, not to condemnation. For we know, Lord, that you are a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. I would also pray for the men who have encouraged this, that you would have us all as men stand up and declare that this is an unrighteous act, this is evil in your eyes. And we would pray that these men would have a changed heart. And just for our nation, Lord, we know that in this nation, more are against abortion than are for it, but it's made to look like everyone is for it. And we know that that's not true. We know it's the lies of the enemy as well as abortions being rare. We know that that is a lie. So, Father, help us to stand on the truth. Help us to be witnesses, not to be condemning. For again, Lord, we know those without you are self-condemned. But for those in you, those who have suffered through this, I ask that you'd bring healing. And as your word says in Second Corinthians chapter 1, that the things that we suffer and then we receive comfort for, we are then able to go to others and bring them comfort. So may you use these women who have gone through this to bring comfort and healing to other women who have gone through the procedure as well. And with your grace, we'll accomplish these things for you are the God of grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Matthew 27, verse 1, please. Here we see Jesus, who is going to be sentenced to die. Judas is seized with remorse. We also have the silence of the Lamb. That will be Jesus, how he did not open his mouth, and the selection of Barnabas. Uh, This is all in chapter 27, as well as we have how Jesus is struck and spit on and stripped. And there are other things that come up in this text of Matthew chapter 27. But as we pick it up in verse 1, here Jesus is sentenced to die. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Now John gospel of John tells us that Jesus was sent to the praetorium and that's where Pilate would have been this would have been to the north of the temple mount area and this is a fulfillment of a prophecy Jesus himself gave back in Matthew chapter 20 verse 18 he said we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law they will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And so they take, this, they take Jesus with all of the other individuals, all the priests, all the scribes, all the Pharisees. They all go up 
with Jesus to Pilate. Now, who is Pilate? He was appointed by Tiberius, the procurator over Judea. He had somewhat of a strained relationship with the Jews. His wife was Claudia Procula. He held a position for about 10 years, longer than the usual term, probably because he did it well. He also took money from the temple treasury in Jerusalem to build an aqueduct, which didn't go over very well with the Jews. They didn't want any of that money taken. And this angered the Jews, and some were killed during the protest over this. He set up a Roman standard, which would be on a pole. You have an image of like Caesar and Rome and all that's up there. He set up the Roman standards, which the Jews protested vehemently because it would be idolatry. If you go to Israel today, if you go to any restaurant, you know how sometimes in restaurants they'll have painted images on the walls going around? Well, you can do that, but you cannot have any animals or any people depicted in those murals because that was considered idolatry by the Jews. And so if they considered an ensign or a a Roman standard that would be up there, they consider that idolatry. And after six days, he ended up taking them down because it caused such an uproar with the Jews. These difficult, stubborn people would just not relent. And so, you know, he was not on a good side with them. And it was thought, as recorded by Eusebius, that he was forced to commit suicide under the reign of Gaius in 37 to 41 AD. It, it's kind of vague. Did he actually commit suicide or did he not? Uh, some say he did. Some say he didn't. But... Maybe this is uh, a curse he fell under uh, and he had to do it. One one said that it was because he messed up in a battle and so he had to either be executed or he had to die by suicide. And we just don't know if that is true or not. Then we see Judas in verse 3 who was seized with remorse. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders i have sinned he said for i have betrayed innocent blood what is that to us they replied that's your responsibility so judas threw the money in the temple and left then he went away and hanged himself so certainly judas felt remorse for betraying somebody who was innocent now who wouldn't feel that kind of remorse but remember he was also possessed by satan himself And I'm sure Satan, we know from the book of Revelation that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So after he carried out this dastardly deed, I'm sure Satan was right in there, inside going, you fool, you have messed up, you might as well just go kill yourself. Just over and over and over to where he just couldn't handle it anymore, and he killed himself. But you know this idea, where did Judas get the money? From the treasury. The Jews went and got it, gave it to Judas, said betray Jesus. They wanted to murder a man. So they're paying money from the treasury, which they got all upset at because Pilate used it to build this aqueduct, but they couldn't handle it. They were upset, and they said, no, we can't put that in. That's blood money. They took it out to kill Jesus, but they can't put it back in. Hypocrites. That's what Jesus would call them. He did that seven times, by the way. He said, woe to you, you hypocrites. And he could not stand who they were. And those individuals are going to be so condemned. Now, of course, we do understand that this hypocrisy was rampant, which was out there. 
And rightly so, we should be offended by that. But we are not to be like the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus condemned. But we are at church who we are. We're to be that on the outside. And I have witnessed that a lot. Uh, Not mostly in this church, but other believers that I've run into. That they go to church and they praise the Lord and they're there every single week. And then when they get outside, they're a completely different human being. And God doesn't want that. That is hypocrisy. He wants us to be who we are in church as who we are outside of church. He wants us to be speaking the same way in church as we do outside of church. And we need to be aware that God recognizes everything. And now in another account, we know that it says that Judas, he went out and hung himself, but... He also fell on rocks and his guts busted open. It's pretty gross, but that's what the scripture tells us. And some people say, well, there's a contradiction which is going on. Which is it? Did he hang himself or did his bowels burst open when he fell on the rocks? I would say yes, both. How would this happen? Well, in Jerusalem there, there are these several steep, areas with cliffs and if he was hanging himself he may have hung himself on a tree which was right next to the edge of the cliff and he was there so long i don't know if they took him down or what but the rope broke and he fell down hit the rocks especially if it's a jagged rock you guys know the outcome and so this is not a contradiction it's just putting the information together and that's a reasonable explanation that we can walk away with and of course we were aware that judas got 30 pieces of silver and this is in response to a prophecy now the prophecy is actually in zechariah but scripture tells us in the gospels that it's attributed to jeremiah now this is the scripture in zechariah 11 verse 12 it says i told them if you think it best give me my pay but if not keep it So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Now that is a clear depiction of what happened to Judas that was written hundreds of years before Judas ever showed up on the scene. But in the scriptures, it is attributed to Jeremiah, which seems to be another contradiction. Well, how is this so? Well, it's, it's not in Jeremiah. It is in Zechariah. And there will be some references if you do a, a study, a search on it, where they take you to some places in Jeremiah where this is it, and it's not even close. Well, there are three sections in the Hebrew Bible. And in those three sections, you have the law, you have the writing, and you have the prophets. And if you we're delineating, well, what are you going to read? You're going to read the prophets. You're, you would say something like, grab the scroll of the prophets. Guess what book starts the prophets? Jeremiah. And all the prophets are in there. So it could be a reference to that, where you had the law, the Pentateuch, you know, the five books of Moses, and then you have all the remaining books, which would be the writings. But from the prophets on, it begins with Jeremiah. So as noted in Jeremiah or the scroll of Jeremiah, which has all the prophets in it, it could be referenced to that. It could also be a scribal error. There's what is known as an iota and a zeta. 
And the name, now listen carefully, Jeremiah, Zachariah. There's one letter difference, the first letter. And they look kind of similar. And it could be a scribal error that the first letter was not quite what it was supposed to be. And therefore, the scribal error should say Zechariah rather than Jeremiah. So these are two reasonable possibilities. And by the way, the scriptures that we have, they are not without textual errors like that. But the original autographs, the original writings, they are without error and they are perfect. And there's reasonable explanations when we run across a problem like this. And so that's what we want to walk away with. The scripture is not lacking in any way. It's just our understanding of how this happens. Now, the Jews told Pilate that it was unlawful for them to put a man to death. When they took him to Pilate, they said, you know, you have to do this thing. And what were the accusations specifically that they brought to Pilate. Well, number one was that Jesus was perverting the nation, leading them in the wrong direction. Also that he was forbidding the Jews to pay tribute to Caesar. That was a second accusation. He was also calling himself Christ the King, which was an affront to Caesar. And they thought, you know, if you're not worshiping Caesar and following him, then obviously you're against the state and inciting people to rebellion. Those were the four things that the Jews brought over to Pilate, say, this is why this man needs to be killed. Now, John tells us Pilate was afraid when they brought Jesus to them because I'm sure he had heard about Jesus at this time. All the Jews knew about him, and there was an uproar about him. But I'm going on in verse 11. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Do you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. So Pilate's turning into him saying, aren't you going to say anything? Look at these, what they're saying. Aren't you going to defend yourself? And Jesus was completely silent. Why? Because he knew he was going to the cross. He had to go to the cross for us. Not just for the disciples back then, but for us as well. All who would believe. Now Isaiah 53 tells us this is what he was going to do. Verses 7 and 8. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. And as a sheep before his, her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And scripture is replete with passages that deal with the crucifixion of Christ and how he was going to be the suffering servant that was going to come along. Now, excuse me, going along. This is the passage, it's just a little side note here. This is the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading when Philip came up and wanted to know about Christ, wanted to know who he was. This is what he is reading. And so Philip explained it to him, especially in light of the crucifixion. That's in Acts chapter 8, verse 32, if you want to look at that. So he didn't open his mouth to justify himself. He didn't have to plead his case. His works spoke for him. Now, this is a lesson for us as well. Do your works, do my works, speak for who we are? 
Do people look at us and say, oh, you're that Christian, or you're that Christian? How do they look at us? Do they look at us in a despising fashion? Do they look at us as the bearers of light and the ones who carry the love of Christ? I I had this little personal note here. I had this issue with T-Mobile. And when I went into the phone that I had, it's a, a new Note 10, it would say, charging stopped because the phone is too cold. Too cold? What? What's going on? So I looked it up on the internet. Sure enough, there's this thing going around where the new Note 10s have this issue where the phone is too cold and it won't charge. And so you get an app, you look at the temperature of the phone, it says minus 33 degrees. And they said, oh, yeah, that, that seems to be a problem. And there's one person who had heard about it, but nobody else had heard about it, even though it's everywhere. So I took it in and I said, you know, this is the problem with the phone here. I, I just want the phone to work. And I just got it a few months ago. And so they, they ended up giving me a new phone. And they said, we're going to waive all the charges. Well, I went in to get the new phone. And when I went in to get the new phone, they said, that's going to be $44. Of course, back then, I, I could feel this hair in the back of my neck standing up. You know, it's like, come on, just stand behind your product. And my granddaughter was right there. And we're going back and forth. They said, why do you have to charge me $44? I was told that it was going to be comped on this, you know, by the manager that was there. Well, that was the $25, but it was shipped in two days. And I didn't ask for it to be shipped in two days. And, and so the total amount's $44. And you just need to pay us $44. But we'll give you a credit back on your account. I said, why do you have to do that? And the guy goes, just because. And I turned to my granddaughter and said, you want to see grandpa just get over the counter, grab the spy by the neck and get on the ground? <laughs> you know, and so on the inside, I'm just thinking this and, and I'm thinking, no, you're a Christian. You, you need to be nice about this suffering persecution, but I want it my way and I want it no other way. And you're not going to convince me otherwise because I paid for this phone and I'm a paying cut. I mean, I had every excuse in the world that I'm going through in my head. But I'm going, no, just be calm. You're a follower of Christ. The granddaughter's right there. She would laugh if I jumped over the the counter. But anyhow, you get get the idea. We can so easily just rise to a point of anger because we're not getting what what we want and we're being mistreated. And God wants us to be the same inside as well as outside. Jesus' works spoke for him. He even said, if you do not believe what I tell you, believe the miracles, believe the works. And so that means our existence is predicated on the works, like when it comes to worship. One of our works is we worship. And we worship with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. When we serve, we serve with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't complain about anything. We don't say no to the things of God. I was just talking to a man at the breakfast. He was so blessed being there yesterday, the message, the worship, the fellowship, the food. It was just, it was all good. He goes, I'm so blessed. And he was talking about how he was in jail and and he got out. And as we were talking... I gave him the encouragement. I said, whatever God wants to do, just say yes. No matter how difficult it seems, when you think God is telling you to do something, just say yes. I said, and doors will open for you. You'll be surprised what he will use you to do. He goes, you know, that's so right. And he just started going. He was just excited. 
about the things of God because of where he had come from. That's how we need to be. If we're getting to the point, you guys know what the doldrums are? At the equator, there is this place where the air circulates like this. It kind of goes around. In the southern hemisphere, it goes one way. In the northern hemisphere, it goes another way. <clears throat> and in between those cycles, there are the dead zones. And sailors used to fear getting caught in the doldrums because they had sailing boats. If you get into a doldrum, there's no wind. And so you're stuck. So if somebody says you're stuck in the doldrums, you have no wind in your sail. And so by doing so, as a believer, you're not doing anything. You're just hanging out. You're not sailing on the sea of humanity, helping out. You are just stuck, and the water is flat, and you'll start saying, I'm so bored. I hate this. Why am I so bored? And then you start projecting why you're so bored on everyone and everything else. You're the cause of my discontent. No, follow the Lord, and you will never be discontented. I promise. You will be tested. You'll be stretched. You'll be packed. You'll, all of these things will happen to you if you always say yes to God. But if we say, no, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Just leave me alone. My life is about comfort and pleasure. If that's the way we look at it, we're being disobedient. God says, I want you to stretch. That's why we're existing here. That's why he hasn't taken us home yet. No, I'm not done with you. You know, he uses the metaphor of a potter and the pot. The pot says, no, I don't want to do that. And you know what he has to do? Are you guys familiar with pottery, how that works? If you have, you get uh, clay in a slab. It, it's about eight inches by eight inches by about 18 inches long. And it comes in plastic and they pack it and they square it up so they can put it in boxes and they can deliver it to you. The first thing you do when you cut that open is you have to knead it like bread. You cut a slice off and you start, and you get all the air bubbles out. Because if you don't get the air bubbles out, when it goes to the fire, it explodes. So God takes you and me as a piece of clay. He turns us around. He pushes us down and we go, I don't like that. And he's getting the bubbles out. He's getting the imperfections out. So that when we go through the trials, we're ready. And then we can be used. We're a a vessel fit for the master's hand. But if we disqualify ourselves and say, I don't want to do that. Do not make me. I'm satisfied with where I am. I don't want to grow anymore. Then the Lord will say, okay, we're going to put you in the doldrums. And that's not a good place to be. So God wants our life to reflect who he is and not simply, what would it be called, uh, pupate, where you just sit there and you, you don't do anything at all. You're being transformed, but it's a very slow process. And God wants us to be moving forward constantly. And I've always been told that if you're not growing, you're dying. And we don't want to be in the state where we find ourselves dying. Now going on here, And this is interesting. Verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered Pilate, or had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of you do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it 
was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. <clears throat> so Barabbas, he caused an insurrection and he was a murderer, according to Luke chapter 23. But going on, verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. This is one of the cases where you probably should listen to your wife. Verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw <coughs> excuse me, that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and all our children. And so it has been. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, there's something about this. First, Pilate. Pilate could have listened to his wife, and he, he was also afraid on the inside. He should have listened to his conscience, which, how was that coming about? It was Jesus was supposed to come and die, but was it the Holy Spirit telling, coming alongside Pilate and saying, you know, this is not a good thing. You should be afraid. And then his wife comes along and says, don't have anything to do with this man. I don't know how the dynamic of this is working, but he should have gone against the flow. You guys know what lemmings are. I remember in elementary school seeing like a Nova film of lemmings. Now lemmings would be on this plain of green grass. They're the little rodents is what they are. And they live by the thousands, even the ten thousands. And lemmings can stampede, believe it or not. They, they all get in this group and they start running. And if you've ever heard like following lemmings or being like a lemming, they will actually get all together and they'll start running all together and the ground is covered with them and they'll go right over a cliff and they just die. And we're not supposed to be like lemmings, just following the crowd and going over the side. Now, today we've had pottery, you know, we've had the doldrums, we've had lemmings. All of these things are used as illustrations to get us to the truth. Pilate should have not been like a lemming saying, okay, fine, I'm washing my hands of this. He went right along with them, and he shouldn't have. Now, is there a history of prophets going against the flow, not being a lemming? Yes, there is. Jeremiah, 40 years of service to the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys know what happened to them. They said, sorry, King, we don't have to answer you a second time on this. Whether the Lord chooses to save us or not, we're not going to bow down to your image. And so they went against the flow. What about Joshua and Caleb, the other 10 spies that went into the land? They said, no, they're we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way they're going to kill us. We're so afraid. And Joshua and Caleb said, if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? We can take this people and it's not going to be a problem. And what about Moses who stood against all the Egypt, all of Egypt and Pharaoh? Now, at first he didn't want to. Lord, send somebody else. 
But he ended up saying, okay, and he stood against the foe, even against the Israelites who complained constantly. He even said, Lord, if it's possible, blot my name out of the book of life and keep them in it. What a servant that guy was. Or Paul, who endured beatings and stonings and shipwreck and mobs of angry people and prisons. And everybody and everything seemed to be at one point or another against him. But he stood against the flow. He said, I will not bow to the culture of the day. This is what God says, and I'm going to stand and do his will. And so Pilate had to relieve his conscience by washing his hands. He said, well, I'm not going to have any part of this. He's the one that condemned him. He's the one that sent him off to be crucified. So he really didn't assuage his conscience in this. So we want to make sure that we are not going with the flow. And our consciences cannot be cleared by outward acts. You can't get rid of the guilt by an outward act, by doing something. And that's what the world does oftentimes. They will make an appeal to give to somebody or something. The latest appeal is to the fires in Australia. Give money to save the koala bears and, you know, the joeys that are down there. And, and they want you to feel bad and, and send in money, that type of thing. But if we have a problem with an outward act, we can't assuage it by doing good in another area. We have to go to God and we have to ask for forgiveness. Now, the funny thing about this, funny, like interesting thing. We always pronounce Barabbas. Barabbas. Break it apart. Bar Abbas. What do we know about Abbas or Abba? What is Simon Bar Jonah? Simon, son of Jonah. If you have Bar Abbas, you have son of the father. You know, in the Aramaic text, you know what son of the father, his first name is? Yeshua. Barabbas' name was Yeshua bar Abbas. Jesus, son of the father. Then there's Jesus. Who's the son of the father? And you go, what is going on here? I thought you'd never ask. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16. Turn over there. Leviticus chapter 16. This is incredible. When you, you find out this stuff, you go, God set this up. You have Yeshua bar Abbas, and you have Yeshua bar Joseph, or Yeshua bar God the Father, they both have the same name is who they are. Now, you guys following me so far? Let's go on. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area 
with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen garments next to the body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering and make atonement for himself in the household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats. You following this so far? One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering, but the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. You making the connection? You have Yeshua bar Abbas, Jesus, son of the father, the scapegoat, and you have Jesus, son of the father, the sin offering. And unless you do some research, you totally miss it. You don't even see it in there. That these two are the scapegoats. Jesus was our sin offering. And Barabbas, Yeshua Bar Abbas, was the one that went into the wilderness. He's the one that went away. What an incredible way to set it up. And God did this, and he kind of hid it, you know, so that the Jews wouldn't really recognize it because they were under a curse. But on this side of the crucifixion, we look at it and we go incredible i i never saw that there before i wow i'm just amazed that god would do this really are we amazed that god would set it up like this it's just wonderful to discover this stuff that a person who is a murderer and an insurrectionist like we are we are the ones that get to go free and jesus was the one that was our sin offering so that's what we're supposed to take away jesus went to the cross and we are Barabbas. We are the ones that have escaped. The sin has been placed upon Jesus and he was sacrificed. And that's what the high priest did, put his hand on the head of the goat. And then the one that was released <coughs> went into the wilderness. The sin was taken away. The Lord has done this for you. The Lord has done this for me. He has given us by his grace this chance to live forever. And not have any more sorrow, pain, or suffering. But we have to accept the gift. You all know this. This is what we need to communicate to everybody else. Now you can't take... Do you know who Barabbas is and try to witness? It's not going to work very well, but you have this information. And when you're making disciples, you show people, look, this is what God did. He had this in his word and it is just amazing. And this is only one of many stories that are like this. So may the Lord bless you. May you come to the realization of who he is. May you worship him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. May you fall in love with his word and walk with him daily, submitting to the Holy Spirit who teaches and guides us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the secrets which are hidden within. We ask that you would reveal more these nuggets which are here. They're so rich, rich in wisdom, and rich in knowledge. And we thank you, Lord, for your care over us, just as a shepherd watches over his flock. 
you take care of us and we lack nothing so father simply this morning we give you thanks in jesus name amen